Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, hey, Owen Jones here. Welcome to the podcast. Now, I am really honoured to have Gary Young, one of, I would say, the preeminent columnists in the Western world. Uh, I've known Gary for a very long time. I think he's kind of like the mentor of progressive uh, columnists. I certainly have always looked up to him when I aspired to be a, a writer, I suppose. He was one of the people I looked up to as a teenager in these suffocating times of there is no alternative, he was a bit of a lifeboat. So I've got loads to talk to him about, uh, about white supremacy, about uh, systemic racism in the US, about Trumpism, uh, about Black Lives Matter, about the struggles against injustice, what hope now Trump has gone, and what now in the age of Biden. Bit of housekeeping first. The new podcast is all about offering an alternative to the corporate media, taking on injustice, speaking truth to power, Offering a bit of a ray of optimism and showing there's another way, but also having some fun. We've got loads of interviews, discussions, documentaries for you to listen to. To expand and offer more content, we need your support. So anything you donate via the supporter function in the podcast description is hugely appreciated. Or you can be a regular supporter on patreon.com forward slash owenjones84. You've got a say there over who we speak to, what we talk about, what issues we focus on. Whatever you do, please give us five stars on the show on iTunes. It just helps boost the podcast, gets the word out. Subscribe to the podcast and share the show. After all of that, please listen to me chatting to that fountain of wisdom that is Gary Young. Gary, 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 welcome, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. No, big honour, big pleasure. Uh, Now, I know you had uh, the dreaded Rona recently, so you're you're now kind of, you're recovered. I'm I'm uh, I'm back to the same ill health I was before I had coronavirus. Yes. Well, that's good to know. the The old Gary, whatever, is is back. Um, let's go straight into it. Let's go straight into it. So we've just had this attempted far right insurrection mm. uh, in the United States in the Capitol, and it's uh, interesting. Twenty twenty one starts just just so we know that twenty twenty wasn't. You know, we had this roller coaster. Twenty twenty one is like, no, no. If you think things are going to calm down, good luck. Now, a lot of commentary is kind of in the US, in particular, mm. has kind of focused on it being a kind of aberration, un-American mm. even. What yeah. do you think about that? Uh, sadly, I think it is. I mean, it's it's very rare. Obviously, this particular thing that uh, you know, last time was in early nineteenth century, and it was the Brits. So the particular. Thing of storm in the capital, of course, is is very very rare, but um, America is you know was built on uh, among other things uh, slavery and genocide, the notion of a group of uh, uh, violent, almost exclusively white and overwhelmingly male uh, uh, people um, um, attacking. 
uh, a choice that they don't like. That is that in itself is not rare. And in fact, the seeds for this were planted long ago and have been growing. And anyone with eyes to see, particularly but not exclusively in the last four years, Trump has been inciting violence throughout that time, sometimes literally calling on his supporters to beat up hecklers, uh, uh, for example, calling uh, the people at Charlottesville, uh, uh, Fung people, the neo-Nazis, not the uh, anti-fascists, that this is... Um, I saw Van Jones on CNN say, is this the start of something or is it the beginning of something? And actually, it's a continuation of something. This has been... This... Um, Logic has been going on for a while, and there is a kind of symmetry, I would say, um, uh, in the fact that the, the day before there was an election in Georgia, uh, the night before, um, Georgia elected its first black senator. There were two Senate elections. Georgia elected its first black senator, Raphael Warnock. Um, uh, the next morning, um came the um uh came the insurrection the mob and shortly after trump says I, I i love you you're beautiful people but please come home please go home we see that the other georgia senate seat has gone to the first jewish senator ever in georgia both of those senate seats georgia has had a 24% increase in uh, uh, minorities in the last 20 years. Both of those Senate seats won by quite narrow majorities with a very mobilized black vote and uh, diverse, um, the, the more diverse suburbs coming out in significant number. And so you see, while those two things, the mob, insurrection and the election are separate, what you see with that result in the heart of the Confederacy is the world that these people fear, a world where they are no longer necessarily as dominant as they were. Still dominant, but no longer as, as dominant as they were. And ultimately, I think that is what this insurrection is about. When they say they stole the election from us, the they speaks to the people that they don't really count as being American, just like they didn't count Obama as being American. Their world, their world, the world of the white supremacist man is has been ebbing away, and um, um, and you know they are in when democracy stops working for them. You know they'll support democracy that works for them. When it stops working for them, they could do without it. And so, unable to cohere a coalition, coalition that can win at the ballot box, they then go to the capital and. Uh, in in ways that are very, very serious and somewhat tragicomic, decide that they will storm it by force. Now, you actually spoke uh, to some of these right-wing extremists in the United States in Angry White and American, which people should watch mm. if they can, uh, including Richard Spencer, who is a white mm. supremacist and a neo-Nazi. I mean, what when you saw that mob, that insurrection in the Capitol... How did it, when you look back at those interviews that you did, including with Richard Spencer, what was your, what did you think? Because that must have come back. Yeah, I mean, these are, I reported from America for The Guardian for 12 years. And these, 
people are very familiar to me. You know, you, I remember interviewing a guy in Colorado, because in a way you have the cartoonish people like Richard Spencer, who is a kind of, you know, plays the gentleman Nazi, the kind of, you know, um, uh, abdicated Edward kind of character. But just regular people, you'd be doing a Vox Pop. This was, there was one Vox Pop I was doing in Colorado and I asked a guy, so um, has Obama done anything that you think is good? And he said, well, he's been good for ammunition sales, you know, because my friends are stockpiling. That when I did my book, um, um, Another Day in the Death of America, one of the things I learned, it's about all of the kids that are shot dead in one day, is that the number of people who own guns in America is going down and the number of guns is going up quite substantially. So you have this increasingly armed, increasingly um, uh, enraged uh, populace and that with white people, I think would be a minority in America by about 2045. And so this whole, it's been a, it's been a theme. It's been a while, the Tea Party, the kind of Republicans shutting down the um, uh, the Congress, or you know, and threatening to several times, and and then Trump, they are kind of of a piece. These um, uh, conspiracy theories, even which are kind of get ever more bizarre, but they're not new. The Clintons, they say, the conspiracy theorists, assassinated fifty close associates and ran a drug for arms trade through Arkansas. Why anyone would do that through Arkansas is beyond me. They, um, uh, in 2010, more than half of Republicans thought that Obama was a Muslim and a or a terrorist who wanted the terrorists to win. I mean, so this, this has been going on for a while and I don't think that this will break the fever. I don't think this is the uh, end of it. I think, in fact, it's the beginning of, of uh, something else. But I also think we have to be careful about understanding what it was. I mean, both of us are in Britain. Um, so you saw it on telly like I do. I mean, I went, you saw it. What did you, people called lots of things, demonstrators, protesters, insurrectionists, domestic terrorists, uh, that it was a coup d'etat. What, what what did you see? Yeah, I mean, the intention, I think, was an attempted coup, wasn't it? It was a far-right coup. It was very clear there were neo-Nazis uh, mm. present, and uh, an American journalist did a thread where he went through many of those involved, looked at their tattoos, the images using, including someone, of course, with a T-shirt referring to Auschwitz. I mean, a lot of them were clearly Nazis who... Uh, stormed the capital, some with the intention, whatever, you know, I mean, in a sense, it's almost kind of like whatever the means that they actually had at their disposal to complete mm. the task that they saw, the intention for many of those present was an insurrection and a coup d'etat to overturn the elections and to install for the next few years a candidate who had lost fair and square. See, because I think it, um, I think it, it was definitely an erection. It was an, a violent, you know, um, uh, attack on the government. To the extent it was a coup, it was a pretty bad one. I mean, um, I, it, it seemed to me that they broke into the capital totally with the intention. I mean, the date and everything else was about 
was about uh, preventing certification or interrupting certification, certainly. And the fact that do both Donald Trump and Giuliani are on the phone while it's taking place, trying to lobby um, uh, uh, different Congress um, uh, people in Congress, suggests that they saw it as a moment of leverage. But then when you look at what they do when they get in there, they take selfies, they kind of grab mementos, they, you know, they kind of uh, pose provocatively, they strut. It was also kind of, to me, an exercise in kind of a very aggressive form of futility. I mean, one of the most worrying things for me is the, is the role of the police in this. And the, the fact that, I mean, w when it comes to a coup, you can have the active switching of allegiance of the state, or you can have, and it's often the case, a, just a kind of ambivalence and an indifference. And we know that there were several off-duty officers, many of whom have been put on leave, who were in the mob. Um, there was a, a, um, a deliberate, it seems, attempt not to police it properly. And I kind of like, well, I mean, the handful of police that remained there tried to fight them off, but that was, you know, that was never going to happen. And the fact that that couldn't happen with Black Lives Matter protesters or Antifa or even the Women's March is a matter of politics. It's because the police, in a year when you, we've seen Black Lives Matter and Blue Lives Matter and the challenge to the way in which the country is policed, a significant section of the police looked at them and did not see a threat, which to me suggests a question mark over the reliability of the allegiance of the police when faced with uh, uh, white supremacist domestic terrorists attacking the kind of citadels of, of uh, symbolic citadels of democracy. And that to me was the most, in some ways, the most scary thing was how it happened rather than that it happened. I mean, what do you think now happens to Trumpism? I mean, you know, again, there was a standard narrative amongst, I suppose, lots of centrists, liberals, never Trumpers, that Trump kind of landed from a clear blue sky. You know, mm. What is this? You know, in idyllic America has been disturbed by this sudden aberration. So what what do you think? I mean, in terms of you, you put it in context of continuity, but what, you know, what, what is Trumpism now? Where do you think it goes from here? Is there going to be an escalation? You made that point, you know, is this, was that a beginning or an end? Is it, is it, was it a conclusion or a prologue? Mm -hmm. I mean, what, what do you think? What do you think this marks now? What, what will Trumpism do? How will it relate to Trump such, you know, in, in the coming years? Well, they're, they're, they are emboldened. His people are emboldened and that kind of, um, yeah, Trump is a product of American racism and kind of uh, xenophobia and, and right-wing nationalism rather than the originator of it. And um, these people have a, a habit. I mean, they are, they're, <laughs> they're always there. Every now and then they coalesce. Sometimes they coalesce around a thing like um, uh, healthcare, uh, sometimes they coalesce around a person, Palin, Trump, if you go back further, Strom Thurmond, G George Wallace. Um, and so I think what we're going to see uh, 
in the coming years is a kind of more aggressive and more violent. There will be a kind of reconfiguration, a realignment within the Republican Party. There will be, but it's not going to be towards the Republicans, you know, having a kind of come to Jesus moment. I mean, the people who resigned from Trump cabinet, for example, are people, you know, who stood by him through Charlottesville, through, you know, the, the range of things that he's done. And then now, two weeks after he's lost an election, which he denied he'd lost, after a kind of, you know, uh, uh, a failed um, uh, mess of an insurrection with two weeks to go as he's being impeached, say, here I draw the line. I mean, these are not kind of particularly principled people. These are not people you would want to go into battle with. So um, the realignment will be around what they think they can, um, you know, what the Republicans think they can get away with, what in effect what this spectacle did uh, uh, last week was give to them, was give uh, uh, white supremacy and extreme nationalism a bad name. And what they would prefer is a much more uh, plausibly deniable kind of uh, um, uh, uh, version of that. So what I think you're going to see is a a much more militant and violent uh, fringe and a kind of, for a while, a somewhat uh, um, uh, confused and um, even more opportunistic than useful kind of leadership trying to kind of work out where it can land and still keep his job because these people have to stand in primaries and the Republican base, you know, Trump, um, the morning after Trump was on speakerphone to the uh, Republican National Committee, they were having their winter meeting in Florida, and he came on a speakerphone and they cheered. Roughly two thirds of the House Republicans voted not to certify the results in Pennsylvania, even though Trump got almost twice, Biden got almost twice as many, uh, uh, twice as wide a margin in Pennsylvania vote-wise than Trump did against Hillary. And there's one more thing, or yeah, there's one more thing I would mention, which is that, uh, well, which is Biden, because uh, to a large degree, it depends what Biden does, that um, he's going to be inaugurated on January the 20th. The day of the mob was, at that point, the worst day in terms of coronavirus deaths. A couple of days later, the jobs report came out. And for the first time in many months, America had lost 140,000 jobs. Unemployment level at 6.7%. The first time in seven months that it hadn't got better. Um, the police are, or the FBI are predicting more insurrections um, in the run-up to Biden's inauguration. And Biden's talking unity, which is fine, depending on... What, on what basis you are seeking that unity? Because the Obama years were characterized by, first of all, Obama reaching out over the aisle and finding there was no one there. Secondly, him negotiating with himself before he did anything and therefore coming up with plans that were somewhat inadequate to the situation. And so people thinking 
my life's not better, that this isn't working. I'm still poor. I was hoping and now I'm no longer hoping. And so, um, uh, and and that saw the rise of the Tea Party and the massive defeat um, at the first midterms in 2010. So uh, uh, B- Biden has to be bold. He's not going to do what I would want someone to do, but whatever he does has to be bold given the challenges that are facing the American economy because people will unite around some sense of their lives getting better, but they're not going to unite around a notional sense of an America that doesn't exist. Just before I ask you about the left and Biden, uh, I mean, a lot of people very excited that I was going to speak to you, but they, they were, they, people are interested in the whole kind of social media Trump, him being booted off, obviously someone presenting that as freedom of speech issue. I mean, mm-hmm. how much do you think actually he, his social, you know, his presence on those social media platforms was was actually quite critical to this. I mean, a lot of the people who stormed the Capitol were interviewed, basically regurgitating Donald Trump tweets. So what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, you know, it was a very important way in which he kind of managed to communicate with people. And um, I dare say, given time, he doesn't have that much time left as president, he'll find another way. Um, uh, you know, a bit like all the other stuff, Right-wing nationalism and white supremacy um, predated, um, uh, you know, all of these social media platforms. And so um, the fact that it's going to go off and be in another corner somewhere and will not have the kind of widespread, um, uh, the the kind of contact that kind of, you know, it's had before, I think is, um, is... is good. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. It begs a lot of questions about, I mean, it's all very well being moral after the event when it doesn't, when it doesn't cost you anything particularly. But where were these platforms and those people who run them 
after Charlottesville, after the um, shooting in the synagogue in uh, Pittsburgh, uh, during the Black Lives Matter press, this is not the first time that Trump's incited violence. It's not the first time that he has distributed falsehoods. And so there is this thing where people kind of um, watch the way the wind is blowing and then we'll move it with it so long as it's blowing a gale. Um, but in the meantime, people can do uh, an awful lot of damage. I don't think it's a freedom of speech issue. Um, you don't have the right. Nobody has the right to be on Twitter. Um, and um, it's your, or Facebook or, or whatever. And Trump can still speak freely. He does, nobody owes him um, or his supporters necessarily a platform and they do have the opportunity to start their own platform. There is an issue, to be honest, about the monopolies involved in um, in these new technologies. I do think that that's an issue. I just don't think that uh, uh, Trump and Quanon are the best illustration of why those monopoly um, uh, positions are uh, a bad thing. But given that they've shown that they can do it, the question one has to ask, a little bit like the resignations, are um, why, why did it take you so long? And where were you when X was happening? This is not the first time. This is just the most dramatic time. Um, before I ask just final two questions on, on Britain here, in terms of the US, you mentioned, of course, Biden. What do you think now? We saw, we saw last year Black Lives Matter, which obviously predates last year, but it, it became this huge force on the streets of the United States uh, and elsewhere, which is the other thing I'll, I'll ask you about afterwards. But what, what, what role do you think those movements will play in the Biden era? BLM specifically, the left in general, we've seen the so-called squad, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez being the most famous example, but also Ilan Omar and others, and now they've been infused with 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 fresh blood in, in Congress. Mm. What role do you think those, you know, the left, BLM will now play? I mean, do you think, it, you know, 2008, people often say the issue was a lot of people passively invested their hope in Obama when he became the nominee uh, you know, he'll he'll press all these buttons when he's president. We don't need to do anything. We don't need to mobilize. Do you think that'll set in again? I think it's less likely because I think there was less euphoria and less idealism and utopianism around Biden's election than there was around Obama's. Um, but yes, that that was very much what happened in, with Obama was that to some extent, people expected him to organize the left opposition to himself which is not very reasonable. And, um, uh, and um, you know, it comes back to the Roosevelt uh, uh, quote, I think to A. Philip Randolph, when Randolph was uh, trying to persuade him, he was a black uh, trade unionist, and trying to persuade him to integrate the military. And Roosevelt said, I want to do it. Um, uh, you must make me do it. Mm -hmm. um, I'm mangling the quote there, but that is basic. That's basically the the idea. That kind of, I think that, and I think that there's a, a different role for those two groups that you mentioned to play. I think the squad and the left within the Democratic Party um, have a challenge to offer Biden as they should 
have Obama um, critical support that, um, you know, otherwise why be in the same party? But critical. Um, the way he's not doing enough, they should call him out. And where he's doing good things, they should um, uh, back him up. And the whole time they should remember that in some ways his his election was quite narrow. 0.7% of the vote in four states and the uh, uh, if they'd gone the other way, um, he would have he would have lost. It was also in terms of electoral college votes, a very sound victory. In terms of vote share, very sound victory. But it, you know, Trump was competitive, um, and so they should you know bear in mind. Um, one would want to bear in mind where the opposition is, and that the opposition is this. Uh, you know, has a fascist knocking on the door, actually knocking down the door, and um, um, and to bear that in mind as they kind of make their choices about what what they critique and what they don't. I mean, the the moderates in the Democratic Party came out very strong after the election um, against Black Lives Matter, against defund the police, um, uh, against you know, many of the things that are associated uh, with the squad. But I think if you look at Georgia as an example, which proves, first of all, that November was no fluke, you see that actually the Democratic Party, which hasn't won an election, has won one election since the Second World War with the white vote alone. Uh, So only one election, which was in 64. Democratic Party cannot do without... Um, the black vote is absolutely core to their uh, uh, prospects. That doesn't mean that they have to bow to BLM or to the squad or whatever, but they have to kind of understand that. And actually, some of the things that Biden certainly rhetorically has been saying uh, uh, more recently, just that he does understand that. Black Lives Matter, I think, is a different proposition. I think that uh, Black Lives Matter grew under Obama. Um, and then, you know, gained a massive amount of force and traction this year uh, with Trump. And I think that um, uh, whoever's in power, black people should have the right to walk down the street without getting shot. I don't think that's an unreasonable demand. And so uh, they have to keep on uh, making the demands that will make that possible. Several hundred insurrectionists invade the Capitol, one person is shot. George Floyd passes a counterfeit 20 at a store and he's murdered. They say that um, uh, uh, Brown in um, Ferguson may have stolen cigarillos. And the punishment for cigarillos is stealing cigarillos is apparently summary execution. These people storm the Capitol, take selfies, and they get out alive and they get a trial. So, um, um, you know, both the left and Black Lives Matter have their work cut out for them. And both of them proved last year that they are significant viable forces within that coalition. Uh, just finally, just a couple things on Britain. Um, when, as you, we, we mentioned, talked about Black Lives Matter in the United States, and of course, mm-hmm. after the murder of George Floyd, we saw that that became very much a 
that grew internationally as well, including here in Britain. And you saw mm. on the right in certain publications uh, this idea of people said, this is importing a problem from the United States. We don't yeah. have these sorts of problems here. What's the kind of response to that? Well, um, uh, yeah, tell that to the large numbers of people in jail, to the large numbers of people who were, the disproportionate number of black people who were stopped and surged. To the dis- I mean, they said that during COVID when we were dying disproportionately. Tell it to the disproportionate number of young black people who are kind of uh, uh, on the unemployment line that the nature of British racism is different, of course. And, um, uh, and so... Uh, America is a more lethal country in general. More people are shot. Suicide is more lethal. Everything is more lethal. Um, And so to the extent that they are saying we don't have that particular kind of expression of racism here, well, notwithstanding Mark Duggan and others, okay. Um, um, Every country's racism is different. And uh, we are not in a position when we can export anti-racism when we are not practicing it ourselves. And clearly, Windrush uh, being a prime example that clearly, um, uh, you know, we are, we are in no position to lecture anybody or to stand aside and say, well, that couldn't happen here. I, I've not heard in the last few, you know, in the last 10, 20, 30 years of African-Americans being deported from America uh, um, because they um, couldn't get their paperwork together to prove that they were American in a deliberate ploy to create a hostile environment for uh, uh, migrants. Mm -hmm. The notion that our racism is better than theirs suggests that there's a good kind of racism, and there isn't. Finally, uh, it's been over a year now since the Conservatives won an 80-seat majority. And for a lot Mm. of people on the left, and partly, let's be honest, whether we like it or not, politics is more generationally based than it's ever been. That's what the polling Mm. shows in terms of the allegiances of younger people versus older people, rather than straightforward class politics. Just a fact, that's what the polling shows. So for a lot of younger people, it feels, you know, that they're living... Uh, under the consequences of political choices made uh, by those who are not part of their generation, I mean, a lot of them, a lot of people feel pretty despondent. They don't, they don't see the way out. They may be pretty fed up with, maybe with Labour at the moment. What hope is there? What do you think the kind of strategy, or where you know, in the moment we're still we're locked down. It's hard for political activity in its conventional sense to take part, take place. Where do you think that energy is going to go? I mean, is it just going to dissipate? Or do you think it, it will find a new direction and, and a new way of organising? I think it will find a home. I think that is the kind of, that is the lesson of the past uh, uh, 20, 30 years, that we, we don't have, we're less likely here to have structured movements and more likely to have these, um, uh, uh, these moments around which people coalesce and cohere and that um, if, you know, however banal this sounds, if we look to someone like Marcus Rashford, then we can see that this government can be shifted 
that um, they can be shamed. And that it, there's no point in denying this is a pretty bleak time. When you look at the um, the polling on who people blame for the high COVID rates and they blame other people, not a kind of government that does everything, does too little, too late, constantly, we can see that we have a hell of a battle on our hands. But I am... Um, I'm an optimist. Um, I think it's very difficult to be a socialist without an optimist. And I do, um, when I was born in 1969, it's my birthday on Thursday, by the way. Um, <laughs> when I was born in 1969, there was no notion in the world that I was born into that the life I have now as a commentator, as a columnist, as a, a professor would be possible. And so we have to entertain the notion of other possibilities. That King didn't walk up onto the steps of the Lincoln Memorial and say, I have a 10 point plan, or I have a, you know, an immediate strategy, I had a dream. Now you can't go on dreaming all the time, sooner or later you've got to wake up and you've got to do something. but um I, I i believe that britain is better than this and i you know i take a lot of hope actually from uh young people uh who are kind of uh, uh energetic and every now and then you see it like with black lives matter you see this kind of flourishing and this kind of um uh this emergence of a constituency that you um that you didn't know was there and so um, I don't think there's any point in denying that this is a tough moment. I also think it's possible to recognise that it's a tough moment and to look beyond the horizon, if you like, to look be, to look over that hill and to say there will be, there have been better times ahead that we that we didn't expect, and there will be more. We have to fight for it, but. Um, um, but it's possible. Guy, thanks for that. I'm sure a lot of people needed that, to be honest. Uh, it's good to end on a high. Uh, these are discomforting times, particularly for those of a of a leftish bent. But we really, really appreciate your wisdom, your insight as ever, and happy birthday. Thank you. Thanks, Owen. Thanks for listening, everyone. As I say, if you want to support us as we expand... Really appreciate it, either on the support function of the podcast description or patreon.com forward slash owenjones84. Please, please give us those cheeky five stars on iTunes. Subscribe to the podcast and spread the word. Speak to you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.